Joe, it's all quite simple. I am he, and he is me. And we are all together, Goo Goo Kichu? Mm -hmm. What? It's a song by the Beatles. Oh, uh, how does it go? Oh, please be quiet. Hi. Hi. My name's Jeffrey Davis. My name's Ethan Gibney. Welcome to The Eighth Door. A Doctor Who podcast. It's a podcast about Doctor Who. Today's Doctor Who is about the third Doctor. Who's that? John Pertwee. It is John Pertwee. Now that I'm not on greater reflection. In fact, the number three is even more relevant, primarily because we are dealing with not one, not two, but three Doctors. Welcome. The three Doctors. We are to our first multi-Doctor story. Applause in the background. My mouth's full of Cheetos. <laughs> Cheetos and Mountain Dew. The breath saver. So, uh, so it's our first multi-doctor story. It's the first multi-doctor story. Yes. Oh, wait. It's the absolute first? Yeah. There wasn't a multi-doctor story before this. No. Sweet. There is a story called The Two Doctors, but that's the sixth doctor and the second doctor. The interesting pairing. Patrick Troughton really loved Doctor Who. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm genuinely, like, yeah. I'm very glad that he likes Doctor Who. I'm just imagining the sixth and the second together acting. It's, I, it's a flavor combination that it probably works. It's just one of those things that you're like reading a cookbook and you're like, am I going to eat that? There's, there's actually, it, we're talking about the wrong cereal again, but there's, an, this, there's this idea of series 6B. So series 6 was the second Doctor's final year as the Doctor. Mm -hmm. Yes. But... When he joined up with the sixth doctor, he was rather aged. Like you do. As was Fraser Hines, who also joined that episode as Jamie. Aw, he reprised. So there's this fan idea that, because they were so aged, there's this idea that before the doctor was sent off to regenerate, he was sent on some missions with Jamie Aww. by the Time Lords. That's adorbs. I like that. But that's not the serial we're talking about, right? No, we're talking about December 1972. And January 1973, we're talking about the three doctors. <laughs> I got really worried there for a minute. I'm like, wait, have I stumbled into a historical podcast? What what happened? No, no. But James Blunt is off singing that song. Jeffrey, how does this serial open? <laughs> I always the correct get, answer is with the opening title. With the opening title, but here's the problem: you do that to me, and instantly I freeze like a deer in the headlights, and I can't remember anything. <laughs> like all I can remember is like, uh, like weirdly enough, I just remember quarries. That's because episodes three and four <laughs> took place almost exclusively in a quarry. Like it, that, I mean, it's a really reliable choice given how many quarries are in classic Doctor Who. <laughs> I feel like every third Doctor story ends up in a quarry at some point. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> don't prove me wrong. Yeah, please don't. So, we start with a downed balloon of some kind. That's Probably right. Probably a weather balloon. There's this guy. We'll later learn his name. <laughs> He's a Guardians of the Galaxy character. <laughs> learn Well, you know what Leader thinks about that? <laughs> It's all in the reflexes. I'm a planet. <laughs> <laughs> so we begin with a downed balloon. Yes, downed There's balloon. There's a man. We'll later learn that his name is Aldous. Ah. He fiddles with it. There's a box attached to it. Again, we're still talking about a balloon. Right. The box crackles, and Aldous disappears. 
Yes, and a poof of light. A scientist shows up. Dr. Tyler. He, uh, he goes and he checks some stuff out. Mm-hmm. He finds that that guy who called him in is gone. But hey, there's his weather box. So he takes it with him and he heads off to Unit, because that's normal. <laughs> that's completely normal. Turns out he'd actually planned to go to Unit anyway. He wanted to get their help with some strange readings that he'd been finding. Right. But this weird disappearing guy was reason enough, too. Right. And there were some aggressive whammy pad scents happening when he was yeah. driving. And it's just some real ag- piercing. Aggressive <laughs> 70s BBC music. Yeah. Um, and then they get so, the... So he, he comes to unit because he's getting these weird readings when he takes photo plates when he's doing weather stuff because science works like that. They describe it as space lightning. And the doctor says, hmm, fascinating. And then goes off to do doctor stuff. He's going to go take a look at where the guy wasn't. And uh, leaves Dr. Tyler there to, to uh, develop the latest plates from the weather box balloon thing. And he develops one. And it's uh, genuinely distressing. There's a face in that space lightning. Yeah, it's... Uh, a screaming face. Yeah, it's not a happy face. It's not a happy face. It's straight out of scary stories to tell in the dark. Yeah. And here we get a great little bit of Brigadier action. So the doctor and Joe have left... And this Dr. Tyler, who has been talking to the Brigadier, mm-hmm. tells him, I'm, I should be fine now, thank you. And the Brigadier says, oh yes, of course, help yourself. We're only supposed to be a top secret military organization. <laughs> you can't hear it, but I'm doing the Brigadier stare. Yeah, the Brigadier stare. I mean, the Brigadier stare it communicates, to me at least, the Brigadier's primary thesis yes. of, I just want a normal day. Which, <laughs> give me one normal day. Which, like, if you watch the, any Brigadier acting, that's always the subtext. Right. Is he's just annoyed that he can't, that this weirdness is happening. He's like, why, why is this happening on the day that I'm here? Oh, and this Doctor Tyler talks about the deep space monitor that Houston set up. Oh, Houston, you know. That town in Texas, Houston. Yeah, Houston in Texas. <laughs> Portugal. Port- Isn't that Portugal for Texas? Um, <laughs> um, what is happening? I have here pe- more piercing synth. Uh, they're being <laughs> then they get then they're attacked by some kind of chroma key ooze from the Ultima games. I'm glad you also described it as an ooze because I, I described this sort of red-purple cellophane drip as right. an ooze. Cellophane drip. That's a horrifying notion. <laughs> uh, as, it, as an ooze. It escapes from a drain. Well, it escaped from the weird weather box after a thing I didn't describe happening. Oh, which one? The, the Dr. Tyler disappears. Oh, yeah, Dr. Tyler disappeared. Oh, no! Just like all of us did. Yeah, by via chroma key ooze from Ultima 4. And the ooze then climbs out of the box and into the drain, and then it emerges from another drain outside as Bessie rolls up. We haven't talked about Bessie, have we? No. Bessie is a yellow classic, like, think 30s speedster kind of car. It's, every time I see Bessie, I go, that's Bessie the buggy. <laughs> like, it, it, it is a vehicle that begs to be called a buggy. So I'm, to see if I see. I'm looking to see what kind of actual car it is. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm not a car person. A canary yellow Edwardian Roadster. I mean, that That's is all I've got. that is the uh, the absolute color is canary yellow. Yep. It is painfully yellow, and it has this really aggressive light motif. I really wish they would like get rid of. 
but every time they're driving in, in Bessie, it, it's like they get the world's most tinny synth okay. possible. Yeah, it was wretched. Um, but the Ooze steals Bessie. Ooze, I get it. Grand Theft Auto is a fun game. But, but it won't be invented for almost 40 years. And quit breaking the timeline, okay? Um, the Doctor and Joe run from it. Oh. It's one of my favorite instances of the Doctor saying, now when I say run, 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 because he doesn't do anything. He's not, like, waiting for a time to run. Right. He just goes, now, when I say run, run. Run! <laughs> and that's it. There's no, like... Okay, now it's past this hallway, or right. now the device has worked. It's just he's kind of staring at it. So the next note I have here is that they're being attacked by uh, these teleporting bizarre Jim Henson creatures that came out of the first edition Monster Manual. Yes, I described them as large copper-colored cyclopes. Yeah. Um, picture a bunch of amber bubbles stacked into a kind of a pile with a big creepy moving eye. We've just described like. A weird dollar store shoggoth. <laughs> <laughs> We've also now described it four ways, all of which are equally descriptive of these creatures. Right. Um, uh, yeah. So they... they uh, weapons don't work on these creatures. And they totally can make things explode. But Joe has an intuition. Mm-hmm. And by intuition, I mean she figured it out. Yes. And this is... So... We were pretty harsh on Joe last time we talked. Well, she feels she much was, better this time around. Yeah, they they figured out that if you write Joe like she's a person instead of a stand-in to beat up on, uh, she tends to be pretty cool. Weirdly, characters get more developed after their first episode. I don't get it. Uh, I don't. Uh, but yeah, she realizes that this thing isn't going for anybody except the doctor. Mm. It's looking for something. It's looking for doctor parts. Yep. Delicious, delicious Time Lord stew. Time Lord Hot Pocket, right there. Hot Pocket. (laughs) (laughs) Don't know what happened there. I have a half-baked character idea. We're going to see what happens. The Hot Pocket? No. That's not a good Time Lord title. It's worse. (laughs) It is worse. Worse than that. I'm a little, I'm alarmed. (laughs) <laughs> a Time Lord mm-hmm. noted for his chowder. And what is his title? I haven't figured out his title yet. Unless it's just the chowder. No, no, no. But that seems horrible. The chowderer. The Squelch. Squelching. Squelching continues. <laughs> Squelching intensifies. <laughs> Now here's the. <laughs> We've key. been watching Stranger Things on Netflix. It's, it's good. upsetting. <laughs> it's it's good and upsetting. Uh, key question about the Chowderer. Uh, is it? Is so it, the theme for this season of the Eighth Door is going to be new Time Lords. Yes. Because we've got the table. Yeah, we have the table. And now, now the Chowderer. The Chowderer. I demand fan art. <laughs> <laughs> you owe me awe and fan you, art. You owe me art. Art. Uh, is it Manhattan or New England? Chowder. That matters. <laughs> Phobos. So... Okay, Phobos is the moon of the red planet, which means it uses a tomato base. So it's a Manhattan <laughs> chowder. That's logic. That's what I said. Somewhere. That's practically what I said. Practically. Between yeah. the lines. Between the lines. Not I, the lines you're thinking of. Right. 
The lines of my journal. Hmm. Lines of your journal. I, I script every one of these recordings, by the way. It's uh, painstaking. And they're horrible. <laughs> Neither of us enjoy ourselves. None. Jeff's laughter just there. I wrote that. Yeah. No, I... I it even has in stage directions and in the parentheses, Jeff laughs number 17 high pitch. But like even that was scripted, him reading that out. Right. I want you what I'm trying to get you to understand is that I'm a tyrant. <laughs> You're a tyrant. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> you you are you are the uh, the Omar Rodriguez Lopez podcast for the podcast god. Podcast for the podcast god. Uh <laughs> Anyway, so this is where the Time Lords come in. Well, first the Ooze steals a door. Oh, that's right. Because yeah. of reasons. Then the Time Lords come in. Yeah. We go to a planet that eventually will be called Gallifrey, but not for a while yet. Oh, I didn't know it wasn't called Gallifrey yet. <laughs> but we do have Time Lords. Okay. They're named that. And they're wearing not their usual orangey robes. They're, they're wearing sort of black and silver robes. Black, silver, and blue so they're alarmed because they're experiencing some sort of energy drainage. This is about a year, God, almost exactly a year, actually, uh-huh. before it would get named Gallifrey. The Time Lords. The Time Lords. Stuff's going bad. Something from beyond our stars is stealing energy. That's not good. That's not good. Because you know what energy is important for? Doing stuff. Uh, they want to at least have the option to do things. Is what I I'm also to scripted say. Jeff pushing his glasses up with his middle finger there, but it's hard to yeah, see that. It's hard to yeah. visual, so I wanted to let you know. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, he didn't start doing the the physical stuff until like episode eight. Right. Had to just whips. Lots of whips. So many whips. Uh, and so that that kind of led led me to. <laughs> Not whips. Whips didn't leave me here. <laughs> but watching the Time Lord scene, and of course, they're sitting there, and they're, there's a crisis, and so they want to get the Doctor involved, but of course, they can't spare anybody, and then they have the bright idea of pulling the Doctor's previous regenerations to help him out. They're going to break the first law of time. So that leads me to my first big question here. I've always wondered this. What do you think, Ethan? the principle behind time lord legislation is like what the what the is the point <laughs> like what are they honoring here is it arbitrary completely like first law of times like you know non-interference and don't do the thing but why why well, is well, that there well your question is separate from my lots thought from my lots on the first law of time <laughs> from my thoughts on the first law of time okay but i mean it can it can dovetail yeah. i don't think it means law the same way that you're using it. I think oh. it's like a law of physics. Okay. And okay. the first law isn't non-interference. Mm-hmm. It's that you cannot cross your own timeline because of paradox. I, I just seem to recall something about... Well, the premise has never really been clearly outlined. <laughs> <laughs> about non-interference, like in Trial of the Time Lord. <laughs> and I'm like... Uh. There's a lot of first laws of time here. Yeah. There's a plurality of laws. And um, I'm totally willing to accept that under the first law of time, there's like multiple provisions. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a couple of paragraphs, not just one. Right. Both things that we are saying have been, have been associated with the first law. So, yeah. so, first law of time. Yeah. Big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal. But why? Why do you think, at least? 
in my read yeah of the you can't cross your own timeline uh-huh. it's because paradoxes are bad <laughs> paradoxes are bad okay that's legit they they can do stuff that we don't like yeah all right do you have thoughts what are your thoughts um well i mean part of it like i i want to say that the principle behind the first law of time is stability like they want to maintain a clean causal structure and if you throw in paradox and if you throw in all the sort of the interference of time then you lose control of order Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's definitely a principle behind it. But I think there's, I don't know. I, it doesn't seem like a satisfactory answer either. Like, I think there might be something more because these people have like this weird urgency to the first law of time. It's like, this isn't just like, well, in order to preserve our society, we have to honor the first law of time. You know, it's. It, and, and that's why I think it makes more sense if it's like a law of physics. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, but. We know that they do are capable of violating it. Right. <laughs> but it's also implied later that what the Time Lords do is they make sure that the violations don't... They stop the violations from happening, mm-hmm. but when they do happen, they make sure nothing gets fucked up. Interesting. Um, particularly that would eventually come in in the new series with the episode Father's Day. Right. The idea right, that right, things right. go screwy because the Time Lords aren't there to keep the barriers there. Well, and then, well, that has an interesting consequence then if we're going to accept that because that means that time can't, time can't just regulate itself. Like, it needs guidance. Or, or at the very least, it doesn't have mechanisms for um, defense. It doesn't have T-cells. <laughs> interesting. So the, the Time Lords sort of imagine themselves as a kind of t-cell antibody kind of deal where they're making sure that time is able to repair in ways that it should yeah which would then mean the doctor's title takes on yet another sort of valence yeah because instead of well not instead of but in addition to being a person who brings hope and healing to people like he is he's like literally a doctor of time yeah there's also an idea that comes up in the big finish stuff mm-hmm. that's never th- fully outlined, which is how all the best extra canon stuff works, is it's yes. vague. Yeah. yeah. Um, that Omega, who mm-hmm. we're going to be talking about later. Yeah. In fact, we can, since we're talking now, we can probably just give his story, because frankly, yeah. we don't have to talk in order. Yeah, we don't. So Omega yes. was a Time Lord. Yeah, it's a very one important of the one. capital T, capital L, capital I'm Lords, Time Lords. <laughs> yeah, he's, a, he's up there with Rassilon. Omega was a stellar engineer. That's a great title. Ta- yep. <laughs> Tasked with developing a power source strong enough for time travel. Hmm. I think, isn't that that thing called the Eye of Harmony? It eventually will be. Right now it's a black hole. Yeah. <laughs> 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 what happened to Omega, who's mm-hmm. our antagonist in this episode, story, yes. is that when the supernova occurred... It was held that he was killed in it, but he wasn't. Right. He was transported to a universe of antimatter, which is where these oozes and weird copper-colored shoggoths come from. The copper shoggoth is the name of my pub. <laughs> it's a good name. I'll, I'd go there. I'd get drunk there. Drink a lily. Drink a lily. Oh my god. <laughs> yes. Um, that's 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 what they say. It is suggested in some of the big finish stuff, particularly Zagreus, that before 
Rassilon, Rassilon, before Omega. So it gets a bit wibbly, the timeline. Sure. The idea is that Rassilon and Omega may have been contemporaries. Right. And that between the two of them, they anchored time. Anchored. So before Oma, what Omega did, the universe was a chaos of infinite possibilities. Sort of. Hmm. And that in the creation of this black hole, the timelines settled into one. At least that's my read of the stuff that goes on. Obviously, there's different interpretations, but that was my read of huh. that dialogue. So that would that would very nicely bridge the need for non-interference, which is a, seems to me more of a matter of legality, yeah. with the physical law of time. Because not only are we preserving this timeline that has been wrought, but we're also making sure that the previously known chaos of timelines does not occur again. Yeah. And that's interesting. That is, that is a genuinely interesting read, and I think that should be emphasized a little more. The web of time could not exist until the great Rassilon built the Eye of Harmony, the hitching post of chronology, that which does not flux nor wither nor change its state. This creates a universe of finite time, positive time. Gallifrey anchored the continuity of the universe. Dot, dot, dot. The whole of time's continuity was anchored to Gallifrey's timeline in the first act of Rassilon's empowering the Eye of Harmony. Okay, that... That's really significant. Because... A little bit. Well, I mean, let's think about it. What... What Rassilon did in anchoring the entire universe's timeline to that event, to Gallifrey, is cement Gallifrey's domination over time. Yes. Universally. Yes. And that would be a thing that was explored in the Big Finish 40th anniversary show special Zagreus. Right. And its precursor Neverland. Right. So, that, that's... Mm. So that casts Omega in a kind of an interesting light, which this is Omega's first appearance, right? Yes. In the three in the three doctors. I have I have a lot of questions about Omega. I was he's a very interesting character to me. Um he he's wearing this mask that reminds me of uh actually uh, classic Greek theater masks. Like if you mm. watch like a BBC production of Oedipus Rex. Yeah. Uh, it's very has that same kind of feel to it, very ominous. There's a, a continual theme which I'll, I'll probably bring up again, but I want to want to come back to it of the sacrifice, of the burnt offering, and of imprisonment for the sake of creation. And these yeah. these are these are themes of Omega that it it makes me kind of go hmm. Time Lord Lucifer is a thing. <laughs> yeah, so... So Omega became stranded in a universe of anti-time. Yeah. And for millennia. Right. And landed a little crazy. As you do. It's it's a pretty distressing place to be, to be in a place that is literally anti-everything you have ever known. But he learned that he could manipulate this universe through sheer force of will. Why will? Like that that's a fascinating choice. Like why why the will of Omega? Why not the intellect or the desire, but the will of Omega? Cuz he's a lantern. Cuz he's a lantern. 
Yes. I missed his Green Lantern his Green Lantern ring. He was wearing green. Okay. <laughs> um, anyway, alternate title, Omega the Fallen. Omega blames the Time Lords for his being stranded there. Though the Time Lords celebrate him as a hero. Right. To which Omega's response is, A hero? I should have been a god. This is a this is a character who has it's not enough to say that he desires power. It is established in Remembrance of the Daleks that Omega and Rathalon were contemporaries. Okay, so they were contemporaries. So Omega is... I mean, not only is he very key in the dominance of, of Gallifrey, but the power that he seeks is not merely to be lord, is not merely to be a, a dominator of a planet... He wants to be at the metaphysical level. He wants to have that power of creation. Yes. The thing is, the Time Lords can't do anything about it. This threat is so great that there's just nothing they can do. Right. So they violate their own laws, slash the laws, capital T, capital the, right. laws, and and double the Doctor's intellect by putting two of him in the same room. The doctor would say halved his intellect by putting two of him in the same room, but... Double your pleasure, double your fun. Double your pleasure is not a phrase I would necessarily associate with Patrick Troughton and John Pertwee, but still. (laughs) There you go. So we have... Fancy Pants and the Scarecrow. Fancy Pants and the Scarecrow. That's... Is that like Jake and the Fat Man? (laughs) No. Okay. And you know what happens when they're brought together? They start arguing. They bicker. And bicker, and yell, yeah, and shout, and argue, and the time would say, uh, <laughs> he doesn't get along with himself," which is an interesting psychological thing to say. Yes, <laughs> so they have to conjure up a third, the Doctor, in this case the original, you might say, and they bring in the first Doctor. Here's a fun thing about this. This is William Hartnell's final performance. And he spends most of it locked in a geometric object on a television. Because his wife wouldn't let them make him do anything more than that. Because his health had degraded so far that the best he could do was sit down and read cue cards. Wow. That's very depressing. But he remembered his lines. (laughs) Well, cue cards help. (laughs) Cue cards sure help. Yes, so it's called The Three Doctors. The first Doctor is in it very minimally. He kind of functions as a deus ex machina. When the two Doctors are just stuck, he hovers in and says, answer the problem, (laughs) and then flies away. Um, So here's a question. Um, Here's an answer. Okay. Let's do it in reverse. Let's do the answer first and then the question. (laughs) Good luck. Um, no, the question that I, I had every time I saw the doctors interacting with each other is that there was some kind of clear hierarchy, but it wasn't exactly clear by on what motivated that. Yeah. Like, there was a hierarchy of regenerations, and that certain regenerations had different respect levels, but yeah. I, was, I was a little... It was unclear what the yeah, determining what, factors were. Right. It seemed that the pr- the first one held the most respect. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, and then later, when the brigadier is trying to wrap his head around the multiple doctors thing, the second doctor says of the old man on the screen, the first doctor. Right. Because he doesn't want to explain it all again to the brig. He <laughs> just says, I've always held his opinion in high regard. Right. Right. And that that was actually exactly the line that, that got me to write down. Like, okay, is there, there's some sort of weird hierarchy in regenerations? How does this work? We don't really receive a clear answer, but I think it's an interesting thing to think about when we're thinking about multi-doctor stories or just regenerations in general, is that the the respect that they otherwise might have is variable. Yeah. Well, and I, well, I mean, we kind of have it in modern day, right? I mean... I'll, I'll be honest, I, res- I respect David Tennant and Peter Capaldi a little more than, say, Matt Smith. Yeah. But, I mean, that's as a viewer, not as a character in the show. And that's where it gets kind of wibbly. So, another question about William Hartnell here. Uh, why did Hartnell know information that Troughton and Pertwee didn't? <laughs> so I think the idea was that the Time Lords could not could, could not Ignats Ignats uh, the Time Lords could not talk directly to the Third Doctor and Second Doctor, but they could talk to the First Doctor because he was trapped in a time eddy, which is the excuse for why he wasn't there with them. Right, and then they because they just didn't have the power to actually contact, but they could contact the middle level. Which is the first doctor. Mm-hmm. And then he could talk to the, the youngins. A phrase that I don't think was ever applied to John Pertwee. <laughs> right. Even when he was a year old, I don't think he was ever called youngin. That was that was how I read it. Yeah, no, that's a good hand wavy kinda that's good. I think that's a that's good. I think one thing multi doctor stories struggle with, and this is just a thing with multi doctor stories is the the knowledge update. Do you want my hand wavy answer or do you want my actual thought? I mean actual thoughts are cool. They're each different aspects of the doctor. They're each different strengths of the doctor. Uh-huh. And whatever type of thought was going on was the first doctor's strength when they were divided up. Which ties into my hand wavy answer which is there's a reason they're not supposed to meet each other. And whether it's because the issue of memory gets real screwy or because their personality fragments to cover multiple bodies at once. Oh, I see. They, I mean, think of it as a physical representation of compartmentalizing your memories. Right. That when you come into contact with yourself like that, what ends up happening is that your very cognition ends up extending and replicating in a way that forecloses your own participation within thought. That's actually a really disturbing thesis now that I think about it. Because it, do, do, you want to, you want to get real. Yeah, let's let's get real. I'm ready. Real, for, real head. Yeah, head games. I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's do it. So the third doctor was okay. So hmm. mm-hmm. the second doctor has not done this. Right. Neither has the third doctor. Mm-hmm. But as the second doctor takes actions the third doctor should remember them. Right, exactly. So the third doctor should know what's going on to the second doctor. Right, exactly. At the t- same time, time that it's happening. Exactly. Without them having to say contact to each other, which is their telepathy thing where they real quick share, right. share with each other what's going on. So 
think about that. You're you're right. Which and that is a thing that is occasionally touched on in time travel stories in general is mm-hmm. remembering actions that you took before now. Mm-hmm. Or or like somebody in your past interferes with your timeline and suddenly you have a whole new set of memories. Right. They weren't there before, but you don't remember not knowing them. Right. And I think that's why the extension of cognition there is kind of a key part. <laughs> it's also why later Doctor Who stories would hand wave him it away and just say, and they can't remember any of that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. They were very fond of the, oh, yes, it's amnesia. Don't worry about it. I think the, that the mechanisms in this come from that discussion of how the first law of time works and exactly how violating it actually manifests. Right. Because the way that you would think would change in a really violent way. The second Doctor, Uh sometimes on purpose, sometimes just as a character, was very petulant. Yeah. The third Doctor was very action. Yes. Do the thing, get it done. Where the and the first Doctor was trapped in a cell, so he was intellectual. He was the analytic. Which all three of those are qualities that every doctor has had. But in this case, maybe because violating the first law of time, they were distributed that way across the bodies. It's a way of coping. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, one, a, it's one of the timeline's antibodies. Right, right. Well, the way that I'm imagining it is actually kind of like an audio signal, right? So, like, if you point a microphone at a speaker... Um, that mm-hmm. the, the output is happening, you'll get feedback, right? And you'll want to just sort of shy away from it until the yeah. feedback stops. Well, maybe that's kind of what happens when doctors sort of interact like that. They, they work in lanes of thought and timelines that don't that have the least amount of, of feedback, which means that there are, there are singular qualities like, you know, Pertwee's uh, pro-iretic nature and uh, Troughton's kind of petulant juvenilia yeah. get amplified. That's interesting. Cool. I like this. Let's I'm, I'm her- hermeneutic accepted. Let's let's do it. Dun, dun. We should get to episode two. <laughs> I, you know, honestly, I'm kind of liking the real broad strokes version. Yeah, yeah. We're okay, about let's, the villain. let's let's do that then. About. I like the I like the broad strokes because I'm sitting here and I'm like, we're, I'm used to doing the episode by episode thing, but you know what? I like broad I, strokes now. That this is me now. <laughs> I, I, I'm liking this more because yeah. it also feels less less copyright infringy. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah to it feels just talk about it as commentary instead of summarizing it. Right. It's like you know we're not worried that somewhere someone's going to get real mad. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dialogue in this one is pretty good. It's pretty good. I mean, we have such gems. Uh, as uh, Joe walking past the remnants of uh, the laboratory, and she's trying to open a door. <laughs> yeah, they're 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 they're. We've established a good dynamic with the third Doctor and Joe where they're able to joke with each other. Mm-hmm. And so they're standing on either side of just the doors. Yeah, there's no wall. A little bit, a little bit of wall and then nothing <laughs> else of the lab. Right. And Joe on one side of the door says, it's locked. <laughs> and the Doctor says, well, this side does say no admittance. <laughs> like, oh, wow. Duh. Um, and then... Oh, Troton offers a jelly baby. He does. Yeah, He does. That's he cool. was the candy one because he also had some in the Dominators. Oh, that's right. Um, that's cool. The second Doctor is sassy. 
Yeah. He's talking about he needs to confuse the weird ooze with a bunch of useless information. Feed it with useless information. I wonder if I have television set handy. <laughs> um, uh, when the brigadier first enters the TARDIS. Ah, uh, yeah. So this is the, the first time the brigadier has ever been in the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. And he walks in and he does the looking around. But where most people go, ah, the brigadier goes, so this is what you've been doing with unit funds and equipment all this time. How's it done? Optical illusions? <laughs> and the second doctor says, oh, no, they come like this, really. But what I thought is that that's like saying that your car comes with automatic windows. Yeah. Like, no, it's just part of it. That's just, that's just how this works. It's fine. Another bit of dialogue that I liked was an anomaly inside, inside of an impossibility. I like that one. That was good. It was describing the antimatter universe, which is where things go when they get disappeared. Power is the only freedom I seek. Absolute power is absolute freedom. Yes, that that maxim. <laughs> that, that's an interesting maxim there. So one of the things that the doctors note with each other when they have all when they've all gotten together in the antiverse yes is that omega be cray <laughs> he had to say that <laughs> when my mouth was full <laughs> he omega waffle irons between <laughs> being very much like welcome Here's a chair. A brother Time Lord. Yeah, in, his, in his first conversation with the Doctor, he's very genial. Yeah. And then he, he, he waffles over to... Yeah, just kind of Howard Dean. Yeah, just going real. Gonna, gonna choose to the Destructor form, and the Destructor form is me shredding you. Yeah, no, uh, he, Omega, I, I find a little fascinating because I, I sort of call him Time Lord Lucifer. And he, so there's this concept within theology that we keep on running I, into. I feel quietly obliged to point out that while Jeff calls him Time Lord Lucifer, the Time Lords consider him a hero. That's true. <laughs> just, but totally. Just a real quick quiet point. <laughs> but man, like his, his narrative. Oh yeah. Is so fucking Luciferian. Yeah. So Omega is part of the time lord metaphysic i mean he's he's part of the reality scheme that they rely upon and he has been exiled whether abandoned as he puts it uh into this antimatter universe he's locked and he needs company he needs power uh, in order to affect this company um he has this immense amount of pride and he has this immense amount of sort of antipathy towards anything in the mattered universe uh for him power and freedom are synonymous and i I think my question with that is how are we to understand that (laughs) that relation between power and freedom for omega why why is the thing we neglected to mention here is that omega can literally create anything in this universe anything with his damn will he just wills it to be he's Aleister Crowley on steroids you know do what thou wilt and thou shall be the whole of the law well guess what dude is the whole of the law of the whole freaking universe and yet he maintains he doesn't have absolute power or freedom and that's fascinating 
a prison is still a prison. Even an unlimited one. From a... I'm going to bring in some other Brit lore. Okay. From a purely analytical approach... Sure. The village is a pretty great place to live. Okay. But it's still a prison for number six. Right, right. He could just live out his days. He could. Pretty view. Food. Creepy People, weather balloon. Creepy weather balloon. <laughs> creepy weather balloon only shows up if you break the rules. <laughs> it's still a prison. Sure. So the prison. This is this is complicated. The scope that Omega is working at. True. Though, right. Because I mean, yeah, absolutely. The village is a prison. It's the weirdest rewrite of Robinson Crusoe. <laughs> Robinson Crusoe in the antimatter universe. <laughs> Right, right. And I say that as someone who's seen Robinson Crusoe on Mars. Oh, really? Yeah. Was it? Was it? It's good? a tolerable sci-fi flick. It's from the sixties. It's okay. All right. And, eh. yeah. The title's just surprisingly honest, basically. <laughs> Honesty in titles. Yeah, I'm not talking about The Martian. <laughs> right. I'm talking about the action, the sixties movie that was actually called Robinson Crusoe on Mars. I'm gonna look this up. It sounds fascinating. So yeah. Um, Let me make sure I'm not lying then. <laughs> well, it's the third thing that comes up when you Google it. Good. 1964. Independently made. Huh. Good job, indie filmmakers. Adam West. Adam West. He's third build, but still. Adam West, man. Batman on Mars. Na -na -na. So, a prison is still a prison. You know, an unlimited one. There's also the sense that I get of loneliness, right? Like Omega, Omega has he, he's able to create apparently an entire ecosystem, an entire planet, yeah, and these sort of weird shoggoth beings. But what does he long for? Company. In thousands of years, the the amber shoggoths are the only other creatures he's created. So, either life is much more complex than he anticipated, right? Or they were always a stopgap. Right. Huh. And initially, he's not just trying to bring in company. Right. So what happens is, his intention is to... he So he can't escape. Right. Because while he could traverse the light beam that, would, that has been converting people between matter and antimatter and bringing them here, it is powered by his will. And if he traverses it, then his will is no longer at the origin point everything collapses in on him while in transit. Yeah. So what he wants is to make another Time Lord, in this case the Doctor, because that's who he reeled in, take over his position as the center of the will. Right. The problem is, there's nothing left of him except his will. Yeah. There's a genuinely creepy shot where Omega lifts off his helmet and the Doctors stare through what's not there. Yeah. The, the antimatter universe has decayed his body so far that it isn't anymore. <laughs> Something just occurred to me, and I'm not, I'm not going to go into it. Maybe when I finally type up all those essays I have about our episodes, uh, I, will, I will go into it. But really, That's going to end up being your book, right? Oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so everyone's favorite slobberfest philosopher... Uh, Slavoj Žiža would have a lot to say about that moment. 
uh, primarily because Hegel maintains that, and, and Zsa and many others maintain that the subject isn't anything. The, 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 the person, the subjectivity that we, we relate to is nothing. It's less than nothing, in fact. And I think with Omega, we see a visual representation of that. The will, which now we're going back to Schopenhauer a little bit, the will is representation in order. The will is literally nothing. It's just negation. Negation holding itself together. And that is fascinating to see a visual representation of that. Yeah. So, yeah, that's maybe... That, like I said, I'm not, I'm not going to elaborate on that thought because this that'll take like another 66 minutes. Yeah. But... Maybe but there's a, a there there. There's a there there, and I would encourage people to think about that. There's a there there because you can, can, can. So what Omega ends up doing is settling for the next best option, which is keeping the doctor and the doctor there as company. Because he's been alone for a couple thousand years. That's a long time with the only people to talk to being yourself. Solitary confinement is uh, pretty inhumane. How, what did you make of that telepathic battle? With the slow motion so Aikido. Three, <laughs> the doctors have decided to challenge Omega's will. And he says, okay. And we go into a mindscape where the third doctor goes into his Venusian Aikido with a representation of the dark side of Omega's mind. Sort of... Some kind of fish man deal. As it's, it's Omega's helmet. But oh. as a face. Oh, I didn't. Put, I didn't put that together. I was too busy going. Is that a fish man? Yeah, I I think of Omega's helmet as looking like a fish face. Oh, yeah. um, the way that the mouth sits, in particular. Yeah, that's a pretty pretty ichthian mouth. Um, ugh. Uh, <laughs> ick. Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting thing that I think goes on about. Twice as long as it needs to. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, it also happens in slow motion. It is visually interesting. Mm-hmm. I think in any other medium, it would not have happened like that. Yeah. It's easier to describe a battle of wills than it is to show one. Right. Absolutely. What did you think of it? Yeah. Uh, I, I agree with that assessment. I think it was an interesting idea to have the mindscape be completely black. Yeah. Uh, that was an interesting touch um, with lighted actors and changing the lighting yeah so in some of the shots the doctor is lit red in others he's lit green right but the creature mm-hmm. is lit pretty neutrally right it's lit to be seen not right. to be textured overall it was a neat idea I would have liked to see that idea after another pass I think is what I'm gonna where I'm gonna land on that yeah you know, because I think it, I think it should have stayed, but you know, maybe another pass at it to see what what more they can do with it, where to trim some of the fat, and I think uh, it would be a really nifty nifty way to represent telepathic battle. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of the way that the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes represented his thought process in yeah. combat. Yeah. Or the Moriarty fight in the second oh one. Oh my god, I loved that. <laughs> Where they're just both constantly doing this. Well, it's a, it's a great twist on something established. And that's... Right. That's such a bad Holmes movie, but such a great Moriarty movie. It is. A Game of Shadows. Yeah. And I really loved the way that it handled that scene. Yeah. 
it was a good interpretation of that from the books. Yeah, I think so too. We talk about Holmes a lot on this podcast. Well, I mean, it's the Doctor. <laughs> it's the Doctor. It's the Doctor. Uh, one final note about the about the telepathic battle yes. scene. Uh, there's, I noticed a lot of Time Lord martial arts practices. They aren't they aren't very strikey. Now I know that a lot of it has to do with violence restrictions. Uh, for broadcast and sort of cultural violence norms, but and, I think and preparation time and preparation time and that kind of stuff got a week, right? But I think it's a really sort of accidental cool plot element that since the Time Lords are so energy centered, like energy is really where they're at, particularly in this story, particularly in this story, and that Aikido and Judo and sort of these other reactive forms are all about energy redirection. It is all about it. It's, like, it's, it's less about I'm going to strike and and crush or punch you, you know, in some way. It's more like, you're giving me so much energy right here. Let me put it somewhere else. Yeah. You know, and I think that's an interesting note, especially for the Doctor, right? But, I mean, just for Time Lords in general to have this kind of constant back and forth thing of, no, the energy goes here. No, it goes here. No, it goes here. And it's more, it's more argumentative as a martial art instead yeah. of as a sort of a sadistic kind of practice. So, yeah. How do they get out of this crap, Jeffrey? <sighs> you know, do you want do you want my do you want my maybe my uh, personal thought about it? <sighs> Go ahead. This yeah. is the first time that I've watched this serial and comprehended how they actually got out of it. Okay. I'm glad that like cuz I'm I'm sitting here and I'm like I I I understand that the recorder was really the key here. Like, the actual but, key. But that's all I've got. <laughs> <laughs> but so, the force field generator seemed completely tangential <laughs> to the to the thing. Okay. So, yeah. The, when they were back at Unit HQ, the way that they kept the weird ooze thing from getting into the TARDIS was with a force field generator. The second Doctor spent the second and third episodes of the story looking for his recorder. We are, of course, referring to the recorder that's like an elementary school flute. The, the next part of the puzzle is something that they actually address pretty cleverly. The idea that if this is an antimatter universe, it's literally impossible for us to be here or observe it. And the idea is that this light beam converted them between matter and antimatter. So their, their whole their <laughs> total protonic reversal. <laughs> oh, you mean that thing that happened in Ghostbusters? <laughs> yes. I mean, it's the same thing as reversing the polarity of the neutron flow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I kind of thought they were going to say in the new Ghostbusters because they came really close to saying it. They did. They 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 waltzed uh, right up to it. I was a little disappointed that they didn't jump yeah. over the edge, which makes me think it happened accidentally. But yeah, probably. <laughs> still, um, the thing is, mm. when the TARDIS got transferred to the antimatterverse. Mm -hmm. the recorder fell down and landed in the force field generator. Hmm. So it didn't get converted because by the same way that the force field can uh, hold off the ooze creature, mm -hmm. it held off the transfer process of becoming antimatter. Okay. When antimatter and matter meet each other, there's a real explosive divorce. Right, right. They get rid of Omega by destroying the universe that he created. 
I mean, it's a real scorched earth solution. <laughs> scorched universe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is, I, like I said, this is the, f- I've watched this serial a couple of times. Yeah. This is the first time that I've actually put together exactly what happened there. Right. Because the last half of episode four gets real muddled. Yeah. There's a lot that goes on and but, you're kind of like, okay. But there's a really great moment. Which uh, one? That I wanted to draw attention to. Before all that happens, before mm-hmm. the resolution of the antagonist storyline, the doctors convince Omega to promise to let the the matter universe stay fine and send all the other people home. So Joe and the doc the not the doctor, Doctor Tyler, <laughs> Doctor Tyler, and yeah. Alice and the Brig and Sergeant Benton. Right, right, right. Uh, and Omega says fine. But before any of them go through the light beam, mm. which is represented by a fog beam, right? Um, the brigadier, when he's told to go through the passage, looks at the doctor and says, what shall we do? The brigadier doesn't usually actually ask the doctor what to do. That's true. This is really uncommon for the brig. And it, it, led, the, it led to, in me, seeing that whole scene is really tense. Yeah. Like there is a legitimate threat here. Yeah. Because it was very possible that these people were saying goodbye to the doctors forever. Yeah. Yeah, you gave it stakes. Yeah. No, I, I can see that. I can see that. It was very it was very tender. Uh that whole scene. Uh tender and tense. Because they were saying goodbye and the way they each said goodbye was sort of very individual. I mean we have Sergeant Benton who's you know, I think it's Benton's lot in life to get interrupted. <laughs> like, yeah. he has a lot of things to say, but he'll never say them, because no one will let him. <laughs> He's a Greek tragic heroine. Yeah. I, uh, I like Benton. Cassandra Benton. Cassandra, Cassandra <laughs> Benton. I, I feel, I like, there's no actual, like, reason but I just, I, I'm partial to Sergeant Benton where I'm not with Mike Yates or the other one. Yeah, I just I'm I'm real partial to to Sergeant Benton. Benton's cool. I like Benton. He comes in through the window for no apparent reason. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's a scene where he just comes in through the window. It's during the assault when the copper shoggoths are yeah attacking. And he doesn't use the door. He's like, no, screw the door. The window. <laughs> yeah. So the order that they leave is that Alice refuses to go because there's a weird fog beam and he doesn't trust it. Right. So Doctor Tyler goes and then Alice is like, all right, fine. And then the brig tells Benton to go. Right. And Benton starts to go and says, well, sir, I really think Miss Grant should... Benton. Benton. Benton, get gone. And there's a really sad moment where Joe just refuses to go. Yeah. Because she won't leave the doctor behind. No, she won't. But she's forced to. Yeah. She's unsure if she's going to see him again. Yep. And then Briggs salutes when he yep. leaves. It's very sweet. He's a sweet character. He, he really wants a normal day, but he has a lot of respect to give, even though he is a snarky, snarky man. He is, and, and he's, he can be a problematic character. Oh! <laughs> yes. His solution generally being five rounds rapid. Yeah, he, he's, he's kind of a murder bot. Let's be real. He, he is, but he's a human murder bot. Yeah. If, if, if that makes sense. He's a human robot. Yeah, you know, like Macbeth. You said it. It's okay. It's okay, we're not in the theater. We're not in the theater. Or are we? Uh, theater of the mind. <laughs> anyway, uh, yes, yeah, so there's a sweet moment, yeah. and then they try to convince Omega to take the recorder. 
command <laughs> you command me <laughs> and then instead of taking it he knocks the whole thing to the ground the the force field generator which has the recorder in it so the recorder hits the ground so it has the same effect anyway <laughs> yep way to go omega you have very good anger management <laughs> and then the tardis comes back yeah they managed to magically escaped it's cool. I'm not going to be mad about it. We didn't need an episode five. No, we didn't. <laughs> um, but then, if well, then the first doctor goes away. Womp womp. Well, first, first the first doctor comes back, and then the first doctor goes away again, yep. and then the second doctor goes away. Bye. And then the brig and Benton and everybody else except Joe and the doctor go away, and Joe and the doctor are hanging out in the console room. Doesn't doesn't Pertwee get like a real important like? key part i'm i'm that's what i'm oh. getting to that's what i'm getting to <laughs> i'm like wait there's a something that happens here <laughs> and then we hear this they're they're having a little quiet moment and then there's the sound of a tire of a tardis <laughs> and there's something sitting on the console a dematerialization circuit isn't that the thing that like the TARDIS needs to travel? The TARDIS needed to travel and why yes. he's been stuck the on thing, Earth. Yes, the thing that was taken away from him when he was sent to his Earth exile. In addition to hmm. the, his knowledge of the laws of time hmm. and the dematerialization codes. Nice. Everything that stranded him there. He has been absolved for his interference crimes because he just saved Gallifrey. Dad gave the keys back. Yeah. <laughs> and... Joe says... She gets really sad. She gets really sad. You're not going to leave immediately, are you? He says, well, no. I have to fix the force field generator first. Legit. And then we cut to... Aulis and his wife. Now, remember, Aulis is the guy who decided to be very smart and fiddle with the weather balloon at the beginning. This poor hunter in from the rural countryside who just and, discovered this horrifying universe. And, and his, ostensibly his wife... Sees him coming up the path and says, where have you been? There were soldiers looking for you and you weren't here for supper and just all manner of holy shit broke loose. She doesn't actually say that. That was me. She didn't say soldiers. <laughs> um, right. And Alice looks at her for a second, says, you'd never believe me, woman. Supper ready. And that's the end of the episode. It's <laughs> literally the end. It's like this dude gives no fuck. I mean, the entire time he's like the most like very level headed, like, no, this is my life now. <laughs> this is how my life is so moral of the story you're gonna get trapped in an antimatter universe bring an english countryside hunter with you they'll keep you steady my man in my man in i don't know my man in the my, my man in, in my man in the army will my. not be dead I love how you, this went into JFK. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> or as he was known to his friends, Jifk. Oi, Jifk. <laughs> yes. I'm the Time Lord called Jifk. <laughs> the Jifk. The Jifk. What is the Jifk's role? Charisma. Charisma. And being Charisma. The, and being the worst lay in American history. <laughs> Dude slept with so many women, yep. and he was real bad at it. Let's just be real. There's some real talk. I feel like we shouldn't talk about JFK while we're talking about Doctor Who. Because <laughs> he died the day the first episode aired. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, that's right. 
<laughs> I committed some sort of supernatural faux pas. Yeah. Now I'm going to get haunted by the ghost. Not JFK. He's got too many people. But yeah. like a JFK aide. <laughs> an, an aide de haunt. An aide de haunt. The hauntology of the aide de haunt. <laughs> Ready for some trivia? I am. I was. My kidneys are the right color for this trivia. <laughs> I'm gonna that out <laughs> later. Not now. Okay, good. With spark, that I, I silicone spark. Silicone. Working this? titles. Yes. One was the black hole. Original. One was death world. One word. So the following is unsubstantiated. I'll just put that out there. But supposedly, when it was called Death World, it was a much earlier draft, it was supposed to feature the three doctors being made to re- to unite against death itself. Death? Yes. It's like a per- personification of death. Yes. Fascinating. Which is interesting when you start to look at this story and think about how that might have worked. Yeah. Replacing Omega with death. Yeah. And the domain of death instead of omega next thing with the knowledge of time travel restored this is when unit begins to get phased out they don't go away immediately uh sarah jane eventually will be i mean she's the next companion she works for unit cool the next story is carnival of monsters which is sort of back to the standard doctor who format right in as much as there was a standard at this point (laughs) yeah there wasn't this is the only hartnell story that exists in the original Masters. Really? Yes. Where are we getting the the Hartnell stories that we have? Copies. Oh, just copies? Yeah. Mm, wow. Hmm. That's why so few of them exist. That would be why. Yeah. Thanks, BBC Archiving. <laughs> Omega was originally going to be called Ohm. Okay. I think Omega works better, but I mean, I, I get the... I haven't told you why yet. Well... Because Ohm is the word who upside down. As in Doctor Who. The face Jeff just made is deeply disappointed. <laughs> okay, I was I was willing to give Grant that legitimacy. Because I'm thinking Ohm as in the measure. <laughs> well, it's spelled like that. Yes, but they didn't choose it for that reason. <laughs> they chose it because... I think they chose it, I think they chose it for both. <laughs> But they didn't go with that. They went with Omega. Which is the better choice. Jamie and Zoe were to appear. Really? But Fraser Hines was too busy. Aw. And Pertwee suggested that that was just too many characters. Um, It's a lot of characters. This is a new console room in this story. Really? Yes. The prior one got warped during storage. Aw. And also, producer Barry Leslie didn't like it. Oh, wow. So it was like, oh no, it got water damage. Guess we have to build a new one that isn't for shit. (laughs) Great. Uh, I have two myths, and then that is the end of my trivia. The first myth is that William Hartnell's scenes were filmed in the garage of his home against a black backdrop. That's not right. This is not true. His scenes were filmed at Ealing Television Film Studios. His garden was used, or his garden shed was used as a makeshift photo studio for some publicity photos featuring the three doctors together. Okay. Um, and if you search the three doctors, you will you will see some photos of the three of them actually standing in a room together against a black backdrop, and that's the photos that are being talked about. Nice. Um, there were a couple of photos that were taken outside in Hartnell's garden. 
Hmm. And in fact, Hartnell's garden appears in the story. When the Time Lords are first talking about the first Doctor, he first shows up kind of looking proud of his garden, and that's Hartnell with his garden. Oh, myth! Myth number two. So, in the same way that the Time Lords look at the first Doctor by looking at some footage of him, they looked at the second Doctor that way first. Uh And the myth is that the footage that they show of him was taken from a now lost serial called The Macra Terror. As in the crab people. Yes. You recall the Macra from Gridlock. Gridlock! (laughs) (laughs) Phil Hartman? (laughs) Right. Um... While the Macro Terror did exist at the time, that is not where the shot was taken from. It was actually filmed just for this. Aww. Yep. They, they, they just kind of filmed the second Doctor looking fidgety against a background. That's legit. I'd look fidgety there. End of trivia. End of trivia. Sweet. What so, do you think of it? Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed the three Doctors. Uh, we solved a lot of the Joe problems. The brig was th- uh, thoroughly great. I enjoy Omega as a villain primarily because it gets me thinking about deeper questions about Gallifreyan history, Gallifreyan uh, cognitive epistemology, or cognitive epistemology, that's a redundancy. Gets me thinking about Gallifreyan epistemology and Gallifreyan metaphysics. So, because there's a lot of interesting implications in what Omega did. And I genuinely think he's an enjoyable villain. Like in my heart of hearts where the Cartmel master master plan actually came to fruition. Like that's why I I tend to rate Omega a little bit higher than the master. And I really like the master. Like I he's, he's where my jam's at, but Omega, he's a very important character. And the master is my favorite. Mm -hmm. I think the, the Omega is the most important. Yeah. Yeah. He's really important. Um, I enjoyed Troton's work. It was it's a, it's a pleasure to see Troton work, and Pertwee played off Troton very very well. Um, Hartnell was a little sad. Yeah, knowing the story there is is pretty disappointing. Yeah, um, but I think everyone was was this is a top notch Doctor Who story is for uh, especially for Pertwee era. Uh, it's hard to get more. Uh, more jam-packed than what they got. I mean, you have yeah. some interesting location. We didn't talk about the Omega's Palace. I mean, there's a lot there. Yeah. You know, uh, there's a lot of nifty little details. Yep. And I, I would recommend this. So overall, I would give it, uh, I would give it seven out of three annoying Bessie synths. <laughs> How about you? I'm going to give this story... You're going to make a face. I'm, I'm ready. I'm going to give this story an alpha out of Omega. Oh, why did I think of that? That... Oh. Why didn't I go there? Oh. Like, I can't even be mad at you. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm just... I'm envious. I, I feel nothing but envy. That that oh that's that was that was good. That's good. Did you know that this is a podcast? It is? Yes. And this podcast is represented in the socials media. The socials media? Is that something While we're on Twitter, son? We're on Twitter. While we're at at Uh huh. H T H 
door. ATH. ATH door. Uh-huh. Eighth door. Eighth door. On Twitter. Mm-hmm. We're on email, which is not a social network, but it is a network of some kind. I think you will agree. <laughs> the he mail. <laughs> the he <laughs> mail at uh, ATH door podcast. That's podcast like the thing you're listening to. Eighth door podcast at gmail.com. Are we on any other socials media, Foghorn? <laughs> now, you know full well that my name is the Julep, the Southern Time Lord. <laughs> the Julep. <laughs> You're minty fresh. <laughs> when I can get away with it. <laughs> oh, bless your heart. <laughs> Why, in fact, in fact, this, uh, this podcast that you're listening to is also represented Mm-hmm. On another social ni- social media network, a niche, a, so- <laughs> a social niche. <laughs> Got to take care of the social niches; they'll they'll rub your bra. Mm. <laughs> We're on the Facebook. Oh, the, that's uh, the one Grandpa's the, on. Yes, the feature novel, as I like to the call feature it. Feature novel. <laughs> Be sure to bring your travel cup when you're going <laughs> to the feature novel Grandpa Land. <laughs> And you'll find us on, on the Facebook, as the young'uns call it, mm-hmm. and the old'uns. Yeah, I'm yeah. just different. Mm-hmm. We are we are under the eighth door. Four word that time. Eight, e i g h t h. Then the word door. Right. And I believe the two hosts of this podcast are also on the Twitter. You know. I- Yesterday, Grandma took the scrying bones out of the pot, and she just <laughs> threw them into the patio, and what I saw right there, just illuminated before my very eyes like the devil himself, rose out of the cracks, and he just, it was a, it was one of them damn pooters, right? So you got them, <laughs> those tippity-tappy pooter, and... It, right there, I saw uh, the ant. You mean an automatic typing electrographic machine? <laughs> I do mean one of those uh, a- automatic uh, botanical telegraph uh, f- firkin machines. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll never telegraph, no. Uh, well, you shouldn't. <laughs> that would be rude. And so you get your, uh, your amp. No, one, not, it's not an ampersand. It is not an ampersand. Uncle turned me better than that. All right. Oh. So, oh. I I know <laughs> that it's an at sign, and the first one it it's a, it it's the guy who is named almost after that guy who almost led the the Confederacy to victory, but thankfully did not. And Thomas uh, Jefferson. Almost, his name is a Jeffrey Davis. Oh, that one. Yeah, with the glasses with, and the philosopher. With the gl- with the glasses and the and the fancy talking philosopher double talk. So what he says, you look for the Saint Ranger Peace Piace. That's how it says it. Bore stranger, as in don't be a stranger. Peace, as in y'all better be priests. I'm gonna try that sentence again. And y- y'all better. I can't even say this. Y'all better bring a piece. Uh, yes. Of mind. Thank you. I or, can't or even. Or a piece of pie, but don't spell it that way. 
I can't I can't even say the word better. I got so upset by the devil. He just came out and he's looking the at me. The devil's gay? He he look, the <laughs> devil had he he's got a tongue. And <laughs> That tongue. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> just, I'm no longer sure this is fit for young <laughs> for young viewers. No, I we passed that threshold a long time ago. <laughs> a long time ago. Have we mentioned that it's a quarter after one in the morning? Look, the devil I told feel the audience should know. The, the devil also told me about Mr. Gibney. That's the other one with the not ampersand on the twit twit. <laughs> And it's that's look. I sorry, I was just parking my car. Oh, that's very. That's now very it's locked. Thank you for parking your car and locking it. That's very civilly responsible, like Mister Gibney would want, which is the other one with the voices and uh, the 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 facts that he he says into the tube that makes the noise called a microphone. I have a tube that makes noise in my refrigerator. Well, you know, that's just Mr. Gibney trying to get in touch with you. It's a pork loin I bought at the local market. The local fish market. You have to deliver that to him. But it speaks. Tells me to do unspeakable things to spaghetti. Well, look, William S. Burroughs wrote that piece of meat. So you have to get you have to get with it. You have to go to Interzone to interface with the cockroach typewriters. Trust me, their orifices need you. Oh, you know what you should do? What should I do? You know, you know, if you want, if you're enjoying this, this here podcast, hmm. you know what you could do is you could go over to that Patreon. Oh, that's Check right. it out over there. They're over there at the same place, you know, the, the eighth door. That's They've got a Patreon. That that's the that's the place where you make monthly payments, right? Yes, you get to get to help out creators you appreciate, right? By giving them a little Christmas goose early. So wait, 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 wait a minute. So wait, I those guys, they need money. I thought they had money. Well, they're creative types. So they're in constant danger of starving to death and being beaten down physically by people who don't like creative types. Oh. All right. Well, maybe we should give them $5 a month. Well, even a penny would help. A That's pe- not true. No. Patreon doesn't accept a penny. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's just an insult. That's just that leaving copper change on a table. That's that's just an insult to wait staff. Now, <laughs> even if it's a jar of them, even if it's a jar, even if it's a penny that is a misprint from 1847 and is worth nearly 200 million dollars, better just to give them a dollar tip. That's right. That's better. So, now get- now as a as a gentleman, as a gentleman. As a, gentleman, as a time lord southern gentleman. <laughs> I, I won't ask you for money, but I'll say, check out that Patreon. And as someone who is not a time lord gentleman, I will ask her for money. So you should give us those, uh, that money a month. 
whatever that whatever that money whatever that whatever your heart desires look it could be one it could be two it could be five it could be 50 it could be 500 it could be 5,000 it could be 500 million it could be 500 billion I'm reasonably sure yeah that if you were to donate anything more than five hundred dollars <laughs> You would get a literal kiss on the face. <laughs> Whether or not you gave them your address. Look, we have ways. We have a particular set of skills. <laughs> they are not useful, but they are useless. <laughs> so, uh, you should give us money on Patreon, is what I'm saying. Uh, Ethan... Who the fuck were those guys? I, I really wish I knew. And I'm I'm a little alarmed that they made it in our house at this hour. Look, I... Yeah, that's... I don't know what happened there. I think... I, we I'd, stepped out for a minute to look at some weird fireworks. And then the like, Coen brothers... It's, ju- it's, it's late July now, and there's some weird purple firefly shit going on. Yeah. We don't know. But then when we came back, there's these weird two... Southern guys? Let's say they were Southern. I think one, one of them was definitely wearing a bolo tie, and the other one was, I think, just wearing a pair of overalls that had been cut in half, but only on the upper end. You know, I'm worried about that. Yeah, I think we should be. Anyway. So, uh, what's, a, what's the next thing we're watching? Oh, uh, the next one yeah. we're going to watch is a Doctor Who story from the fourth Doctor. <laughs> So what? That's good. I'm glad that I'm remembering we're going to Tom Baker. Which Tom Baker story? The Invasion of Time. That sounds really, really dramatic. It features uh-huh. the Santarans. Oh, potato! The angry potatoes. It also features Leela. Oh. And K9. Yay! <laughs> oh, I get to talk about Leela. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, Ethan. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> just just go read some criticism of Pygmalion and we'll skip to the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Leela. 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 All right. I'm going to preemptively say... Yes. That Louise Jameson is wonderful. Yeah, no, I, I love Louise Jameson. She does a great job at whatever she's given. And she's had to put up with some real shit. <laughs> yeah, I will always respect Louise Jameson. So, two weeks hence. Two weeks hence. The Invasion of Time. Yep. Two weeks after that. Yes. Another thing. Oh! Two weeks after that. Yeah. The future? Question Two weeks marks. after that. The end times. Oh, shit. Actually, we might, it, depending, because it, uh, you did a lot of two weeks, if you made it into November, it might be. <sighs> I believe I made it to September at the latest. Okay. Well, then we're not at the end times but yet. But two months after that. <sighs> <laughs> yeah. Good. I- if you're not, I was, was going to say a thing that I'm not even going to say as a joke. If you're if you're not in America and you're listening to this, please help us. Help. We do need help. Do you want to adopt a 25 year old white nerd? Because <laughs> I'll do whatever you need. 
Actually, uh, teaching English. I mean, we could go teach English for some Russian mobsters. I feel like they'd take care of you better. They might. Just don't. As long as you don't betray the family. Or don't make friends with the pretty people they hang out with. Because they might be dating them and that doesn't end well. See. I mean, that's basically what I said. It is true. This is Jeffrey Davis speaking to you from a copper shagath layer. <sighs> drink a lily, drink a lily. <laughs> this is Ethan Gibney from the other side of the room. This is the julep from somewhere beyond. I didn't get a name. <laughs> we'll call him Perry Winkle Pigmalion the third.